episode of NR1990s, the show where uh, we are ranking all of the alternative records from the 90s, and we've got the Cordy to not bark this week. Uh, he did oof when you did the intro. Yeah, he, he wolfed a little bit. You, I, I don't know if that's going to come through on the recording. It's not like every other week where he just explodes the second I start talking. Okay, well, like, so the thing we did was just start the show, pretend to start the show <laughs> over and over and over until he shut the fuck until up. Until he didn't bark, which was, what, five times before he didn't <laughs> yeah. bark? Yeah, so that was your weekly Torgy update. Um, yeah, so this is the show where we're not going to make any more predictions about the, about future events, because we ended our last episode by saying 2021 is going to be better, and then fuck. I mean, objectively it's better, but I mean, I, w- I did not have, you know, coup attempt on my on my January. I should have. No, I I, I actually ex- extensively shit posted about how there would not be a coup. Um, n- not that we're going to turn this into a politics podcast or anything, but I I did not think anything was going to happen because most of those people are a fucking joke and. They just found the few who weren't, and most of the ones who broke in were a fucking joke. But I mean, yeah, I I'm gonna I'm gonna attempt to do do a terrorism. I'm gonna wear my Air Force vest into the Capitol building. Yeah, what a fucking moron. So fuck those guys. If if you have any sympathies for any of that shit, fuck you. Don't listen to us. Go hang out with Morrissey. Um, I, I don't. I don't think they'd like Morrissey's music because he's a little too queer for him. Oh God, his more recent stuff where he's, you know, I don't listen to the news because no one tells me what to think. Look, he's a, he's a gammon, and yep. that's what we're gonna leave it at. Put him on the wall of gammon and move on. We're gonna talk about somebody cool this week. Oh yeah, MF Doom. I mean, Concrete Blonde is cool too, but but MF Doom. MF is, Doom. I mean, if you're in a cool contest with MF Doom, you're probably going to lose. Um, so MF Doom, who died on Halloween of 2020, um, and then the world was not made aware of that until... what? Almost, I think, the 31st. Yeah, I was going to say, I thought it was exactly two months after... Um, so we are not the people who can do a good history of MF Doom because he is a very confusing artist who has had a million different identities and was not always portrayed by the same person in live shows. (laughs) uh, Sort of infamously, you would go to see MF Doom and maybe he would pull a Lauren Hill and just not show up. Or maybe someone else would come out on stage and obviously not be MF Doom and do the whole show. Um, And then maybe you'd get the real thing. Um, And through the later parts of his his life as MF Doom, he, he definitely was more reclusive than ever. And yeah, well, he got fucked over real bad by the United States because he was born in England, but had lived here basically his whole life and had a wife and and kids in America who were American citizens. And so he was like, he hadn't left the country in, you know, a decade and was like, okay, I think I'm probably safe at this point to go and do some shows in England and they wouldn't let him back in the country. Damn. And so eventually, fortunately, his wife and kid moved to England to be with him. But yeah, he he got fucked over real bad by the United States. And I can totally get why he would have been... I can see how that might make one more reclusive. Uh, yeah. Um, 
so yeah so his real name was uh daniel dumoulay um he was original his original rap alias was zev love x when he was a member of the group kmd in the early 90s hmm. um which i did not realize he was in kmd i i had never heard them i had heard of them um i, I went and listened to that album too for this for this week um it is very of its time very cross colors clothing <laughs> i don't know that they literally wore cross colors but it's that very like positive you know early 90s positive hip-hop uplift the african race mm. you know very very political but in a more in an arrested development way than a public enemy or ice cube way <laughs> um it, it's they were kind of discovered by third base and and kind of sound a lot like third base which i I like third base all right i have no idea if that's like something that will get me beat up for saying because i just don't know hip-hop that well um but yeah like that that early 90s uh def jam sound i guess mm -hmm. is like is i've always kind of liked it and, and liked the use of samples in it and, and kmd was was like that but so uh, one of the other members of KMD was uh, Doom's brother, Subrock, and he died in a traffic accident uh, in 1993, which basically gave their label an excuse to drop them because... Look up the cover of KMD's second album, Black Bastards. It's basically a drawing of a pickaninny being lynched. And I guess their label got real uncomfortable real fast with them. <laughs> and so when when Subrock died, they were just like, all right, well, you guys are, you know, you don't have the whole group anymore, so you're done. That that album never officially got released. Um, it did get out, like it's out there now if you want to listen to it. But um, And so then that basically put uh, Doom's career on hiatus for about five years, and then he kind of started doing some some shows his initial shows as mf doom he just wore pantyhose over his head he like covering his face was always part of it but like initially he just it was like i want to wear a mask but i'm not sure what it's gonna be yet and then he went with the whole dr doom thing you know shortly after that and really has the best had the best dr doom mask i'd had that was not doom yeah like it started off as just he would straight up wear a dr doom mask and then it as it became more like okay this is the thing i'm gonna be known for it, it he kind of had a, a his own version of the mask made that was not copyright infringing Smart. um but yeah i mean it, it the the mask is is like when you think of mf doom that's that's what you think of is is his uh you know his bootleg Doctor Doom mask, <laughs> and this album really. So this was his first his first album back after um, after KMD and what happened there, and it's very, it's that album that somebody that you know it's it's that first album where you can tell that the person that had been carrying these songs around for five years before, you know, before putting them out and like it, I think at least a couple of the songs Sub Rock actually co-wrote or even like performed on mm -hmm. um what produced co-produced so like that's how old some of this material was because again he died in 93 um so it, it's um you know i, I just this is like the wildest com uh, comparison you're ever gonna hear but 
like little earthquakes by tori amos is that like kind of famously that kind of album where she had those songs like forever and then finally got to record them and so they're just extremely polished and and just a first album that just comes out of the gate and blows you away and yeah, and it's not like some of the other albums we've discussed on on the show where that's like the, they've recorded this album like over the course of ten years. Yeah. They finally got their passion project out. This is yeah. someone who I think just kind of well, I think even before he became even invested, Doom, he was Doom, he was getting a little more insular when it came to how he was doing. So that that combined with losing your 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 get your contract would be a good time to just fall back and just do a lot of work and figure out what you're doing. And again, that's, that really shows here. Like doom's real good. Like I, <laughs> I haven't really listened to a lot of MF doom since I was much younger. I never listened to this album. It was mostly like, like mad villain and, and the later stuff. Yeah. And it, but it was just sort of went, the video game community is very into MF Doom. Yeah, for and, obvious reasons. He's... <laughs> yeah, and and so my real, true, like, finally listening to MF Doom was through Salty Bet. <laughs> That's not surprising. And, man, even the later stuff just has this groove quality to it that is very good for just betting fake money on the internet. <laughs> Yeah, so this album, it like, I, I wouldn't say it's like super polished, and in fact, I think it gets kind of scattered in the second half. But when it's on, I mean, it's just, it, I mean, like the the so. Tick tick has bad mixing. Oh, but I think those songs so good. Oh, it's very good. <laughs> it's it, like it's, my it's favorite song on the album, <laughs> and it's not him rapping, which is the sad part. It's, it's a guy called MC Grimm, or MF Grimm, sorry, um, and Doom just produced it. Because one of his aliases, because MF stands for Metal Face, um, but then when he produces, sometimes he would do it under the alias Metal Fingers. Mm -hmm. So that's why he's saying Metal Fingers feed the beat, Grim Reaper eats, eats it up. It's, uh, you know, it wasn't Doom rapping on that track, but I mean, even the production on that is just like fucking awesome <laughs> oh yeah it's just there were there were i was using that because i was more i remembered it jumping up to me the most it's like there's there's just a bit of a, a a mixing disparity when it comes to some of the more oomph oomphy tracks yeah like yeah. I, I had a hard time explaining what it was because it wasn't consistent even in the song but it was something just for like mm, that did not sound like i think you wanted it to sound yeah well despite like me thinking he was probably like nurturing these songs for a long time it, i think it was still recorded pretty quickly mm -hmm. uh, and on a very like shoestring budget um which, which comes through especially if you listen to like the 12 inch versions that are on the bonus disc that's on spotify mm -hmm. like that sounds like i mean it sounds like it's recorded on a boombox so I don't know, I couldn't find out if this version that we listened to is totally remastered because I kept reading reviews and they were saying like, oh, you know, the, the big downfall is the production is so bad. And I was like, this production's not bad. But then I listened to those bonus tracks that were like, you know, the 12 inch release of the songs and it's like, oh, okay, yeah, this sounds like it was, you know, recorded with a karaoke mic. So this this might be a drastically different version than you heard in 1999, but like, I mean, like I was saying, I think when the production hits, it really hits. Like oh, yeah. on uh, like on Doomsday, for example, like I think that song sounds excellent. I mean, even like, and post this as his like overall like 
production quality just like skyrockets. Yeah. Uh, but like, and it, it, it's still there. There are there are glimmers here that are very very good, and he, it, it's clear that he is a competent musician who knows exactly what he wants mixed, and his sound feels like, man, I went to the record swap and got these things. What do you want to do with it? And I like that because even by the time this album was recorded, that really wasn't a thing anymore. And it was, it's a nice throwback to what, where hip hop started, which was people fighting over records at a record swap Mm -hmm. and then using a a tape mixer. (laughs) Yeah. And a lot of the alternative hip hop from the nineties that we're going to listen to is, you know, it it was sample heavy, but a lot of it is like jazz records Yeah, and you know, some, some soul records, but what doom did that I think really not just hip hop, but, but other forms of music too, what kind of moved them forward is that he started using samples from eighties soul records. Yes. Like doomsday is a Chardé song. Yes. And, and the, the singer on it is singing the lines from the Chardé song except then she changes the last one about the, you know, the whole world could hear UMC obviously was not the, the line from Chardé, but oh yeah yeah so i mean even in like it's clever in the samples it chooses and it's clever in how it uses them as something deeper than just a track to rap over yeah it, it is just this whole album has a very like smoky 80s cheesiness about it that's really good like i it because it, it's there's a reason other people weren't sampling that same music and then he was like, but you could make something really cool out of that. And yeah, it, it's in, it is almost the definition of cool. because This album doesn't really get hyped up. It just has this very just mellow percussion to it. That's like, I, I enjoy. Right. I just realized I don't think we actually introduced which album this is. <laughs> it's Operation Doomsday from 1999. <laughs> and we just kind of went right in. We just started talking about Doom. Um so something else that he is known for is just his insane rhyme schemes and just rhyming words that you would not think are possible to, to get into a rap song. Um, but like a kind of an example of how, how clever and obscure some of his shit could be is on the finest. He says metal drill with many styles better still feel like the number 26 on a roulette wheel. 26 is the black number next to zero so like next to nothing yeah that's a really fucking in-depth way (laughs) of expressing that no and i think that doom had a a very clear influence on like the wave of backpackers that were going to come after this oh yeah i mean this is backpack rap this yeah. is this is where it starts you know yeah but and he's i don't so much know better at it than they would ever be <laughs> well yeah because it's not pretentious like True. it's funny and clever and effortless as opposed to you know i'm going to i just whenever i think of backpacker i think of that dirt nasty skit in the the 1980 video at the beginning of it mm-hmm. about the t- what is this? The 26th level of Gondor. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that's what I always think of. And, and like the guy in that video, I want to say, why don't you go back to rapping about getting your dick sucked? <laughs> oh my god, I haven't thought about 1980s in so long. <sighs> I have to listen to that after this podcast. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. Wow, the, the corgi disapproves of that. I'm gonna listen to Dirt Nasty whether you want me to or not, dog. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, so you get 
you know, backpacker hip hop out of this. You get a sort of the next generation of alternative hip hop out of this. And like, I don't want to say that people like Tyler, the creator and Earl sweatshirt and LP wouldn't have been rappers if not for doom. Like they, I'm sure they all would have. I don't think Mike would have been a rapper for that, without doom because his, his voice is so similar, but it's just, I mean, it, you listen to the earliest odd future stuff and it, I mean, it's just straight up. We love MF doom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like, I mean, there's a thing that I think Earl sweatshirt just straight up, like stole from him on the song. Hey, um, where he says, he he uses the phrase snotty nose, but the, the way the flow to it is real similar to uh, an Earl Sweatshirt song where he says something about ever since I was a snotty nose. And it's just like that had to be a, a reference to that Doom song. I mean, it, it's crazy. It's people don't talk about Doom enough, but he's also like maybe your favorite rapper's favorite rapper. Yeah. I mean, and, just when you when he when they when his wife announced that he had died, I mean, just the outpouring from every rapper that, that like that matters basically right now. Just Doom was great. Doom was one of my favorites. <laughs> like you, you don't see that that often. Yeah, he, no, he's just one of those rappers where like everything is so in, intensely him and so intensely like well-crafted. That even if you don't like this kind of rap, you will sit there and go like, yeah, Doom's real good. And it's, that's what I always thought. And I got more into jazzy uh, gospel tracks the older I got. And then I started listening to him as like a, a, a full piece. And I was like, oh man, Doom is so good. <laughs> yeah, and, and like, not just, so like I said earlier, other styles of music, I kind of feel like this is like, the beginning of vaporwave too oh for sure because i mean again dipping into like 80s 80s soul for samples i mean that's what all the fucking early vaporwave did and even though like i'm you know i'm not gonna say that this is the first time someone ever slowed down a sample but the song the song dead bent is a slowed down isaac hayes sample that he's rapping over and in the context of all these other songs that are using this this echoey 80s soul these echoey 80s soul samples and then you have now i'm going to take the sample and slow it way down and rap over it and you can kind of see how you know chuck chuck person's echo jams came out of listening to this album a lot (laughs) um and yeah so it's not just soul samples like i I mentioned the song hey Mm -hmm. and that that the music the backing music in that one is the theme song from the new scooby-doo mysteries amazing <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then you have you know all throughout the the album you have samples from the you know the cheesy old fantastic four cartoon of, of dr doom i love those skits i usually don't like skits on albums and I, i'm glad i left them in um, for this for this podcast on our playlist because i like it was nice to just listen to them and he made them playful and actually engaging with the album <laughs> Yeah, and so the one, um, I, I think we're coming up on time for this one, but the one other track I wanted to talk about in depth, just for for due diligence, is the MIC, which, based on that title and what other people have said, it, it's probably, the song is probably a metaphor for him becoming a rapper. Um, He also, he told somebody, and, and he was kind of a harmony corinne level like self myth making kind of guy mm-hmm. so everybody kind of said like doom would tell you stories and you know 
it's up to you if you believe them or not. He said this was the song is about why he ended up in prison, which there is no record of him ever being in prison. But in that context, it, he does it does sound like a song that's about fucking an underage girl. That that's what I'm getting at. Like he says early on, she was uh, one of the early lines is she was 13 and good. We had a hotter date. Um, that's real gross, but fortunately it probably is not something that ever happened and the song is just a metaphor for rapping and not for fucking a 13 year old i i i hope and i, <laughs> I would like to give him the, the benefit of the doubt because i and if, if we're not doing a good job explaining all the things that we should mention to draw context into just the sound and actions of mf doom just try to read about his life it's there's a lot of information you can read, and a lot of these stories cross. Yeah, and and like this is absolute. You know, I want to make it real clear. This is not be not not me being like, oh, you know, Doom should be posthumously canceled or anything. Like, I don't think that he, I don't think he fucked the thirteen year old girl. I, I think that it this most likely is because of the title, a, a metaphor for falling in love with rap, and that he, it just kind of unfortunately happened to. Take Tell old. someone this song's about why I went to prison, and probably not thinking about what that <laughs> what that meant in the context of the song. But yeah, I mean, so so this is not me saying Doom was a horrible person no. or anything like that. I don't think that I, I have no reason to think that it was just one of those things that I, I think we should say the good and bad of of the stuff that we talk about. Mm-hmm. And since this is definitely an album that you know we gush about a little, I want to say like. Yeah, that's pretty gross. Uh, that the that's not something you should put on an album these days. But this oh, is yeah. 1999, so sort of like how, sort of like how uh, the guitar lesson wouldn't have existed outside of the one album Momus put that on. Uh, I don't know with Momus. <laughs> True. He wouldn't. He, I bet he wouldn't do it now. But he sure did make Belvedere in like the 2000s. Oh man. Anyway. Momus reference of the week. <laughs> All right. Well, let's rank this. All right. Um, so I think this is like, this. so this is the only Doom album we're going to do, unfortunately. I mean, I think it's top 10 adjacent, if, if not in the top 10. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't put it high in the top 10 because it, it is, it isn't great start to finish, but it's, it's at least good. I mean, there's nothing bad on this album. Oh, I, I don't think we... I, I wanted to say why Take Take is so great. I, I didn't, had intended to get into that. So, like, the song is speeding up and slowing down seemingly at random throughout, and the guy just keeps rapping over it and, like, perfectly matching the, the tempo changes. And I don't think it's time-stretching on his voice. I, like, I think he actually just was yeah that good <laughs> oh yeah no so. <laughs> it, 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 it's, it sounds amazing and it, it doesn't sound like a vocal a trick at all like a digital trick yeah so it's it's especially in 99 on this budget i don't know what time stretching uh technology was like at that point I, I mean even now like if i do it in audition it usually sounds like shit like you have to have much higher end gear than i have to to make it sound good so yeah. So I I think it was just he was just rapping to the song that is randomly speeding up and slowing down and that's really fucking cool. Yeah, and like that that's what you do to flex when you are just very good at rapping. I can keep my own time, who cares? <laughs> yeah. Like oh no. You are too good at the words. <laughs> um so I mean that said, I think this is better than Kill Uncle. Uh yeah, I mean it is. So 
I think it's more important than separations. But I think we should stop and kill him. <laughs> okay. I don't want. I don't know. I want. I don't want to get pulp that low yet. Yeah. Or um, wait, no, wait, no. Go ahead and do it. Let's put it. Let's. let's, let's it is better than separations. So we'll just go ahead and put it. We can put it there. Yeah. I mean, I. I would put the out al- the amount I liked those two albums basically is the same. Mm-hmm. Like neither one of them is the best album by that artist, but it, um, they're both like really important starting points for for something new coming so i I think that whether it's whichever side of separations you think it should go on um i don't think it goes above slanted and enchanted for sure though no you can put it above you can put it above above separations okay so that would put it operation doomsday going at number nine and uh not until until out of the top ten good good week to do it all right I was. I thought I'd get a reaction out of that. No, no. Um, it's, so. it's, it's... All right. Well, we're gonna take a break, and we will be back to talk about Concrete Blonde. time to talk about our second album of the week and i'm going to remember to introduce it this time it's from 1990 and it is bloodletting by concrete blonde take it away adrian yeah so this is the third concrete blonde album and i think honestly my favorite it oh yes yeah. i mean i think so a lot of people use this say this album is where they started becoming more like a goth band and i'm like i'm going to go ahead and tell you right now that this was one of those bands in the history of goth that just were goth from their inception and just started leaning into it later on. And because, yeah, they, they were an early 80s, you know, rock-adjacent band. They just wanted to be a, a rock band. And then it just, first album, just, just doom and some bats. And you're like, yeah, we know where this is going. And then it turned into Bloodletting. And the song Bloodletting, the vampire song, is fucking great goth as fuck it is the gothest as fuck song in a time where people were real hopped up on the Anne rice sweaty vampires yeah and i mean it is straight up about interview with a vampire right uh i I don't know if it is i thought they said yeah this is about interview with a vampire this is about lestat it it was certainly about lestat you don't mention new orleans and then it not be about lestat um and it puzzles me that Joey is the song that this album was famous for, the song that was number, the song that was very high in the charts. Yeah, I, and not I put it down. I think it was. Uh, yeah, Joey. So we can go ahead and just talk about Joey. It's yeah. it's like their biggest hit by far. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's good. It's a good song. It's a good song. It got to nineteen on the the Hot One Hundred, which is like the top forty. Um, it got to number one on like the alternative charts and the modern rock charts. Um, and I feel like it is completely forgotten. Oh, <laughs> I yeah. never hear anybody mention Joey anymore. If but anyone like, knows one one concrete blonde song, it's, it's bloodletting. It's bloodletting, yeah. Yeah, and maybe the sky is a poisonous garden, which is my favorite concrete blonde song, like by a very wide margin. It's a it's a banger. <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, like as somebody who was like aware in in 1990, like I had 1990 is about the time I started 
like you know i was i was i think i was 13 in 1990 um wait no that's not right i was like when the fuck was i born (laughs) you were 12 yeah okay i was 12 which is about the the right time to start getting into music and having i mean as i've said on the show i was into music early and into weird music early because of my sister but by 1990 i was shitty about it (laughs) because i was in junior high almost Mm -hmm. and i fucking hated joey joey was the song that i was like why is the song on the radio every five fucking minutes this boring fucking song and like i i like it now i think it's a good song but it's it's weird to me i guess it's not i mean it's kind of a it's it's almost a one-hit wonder situation where like that song is very not representative of this band no it's it's the most like late 80s rock ballad but with a goth with a with a goth tilt and yeah um all all the all music review said it was a bad heart song it's a good heart song. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's. I think it's a pretty good heart song. Yeah, it's, it's like fuck you. It's a good heart song. So. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> not, I mean it's no Barracuda, but like Barracuda's not even their best song. So I don't know about that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to have. A, I don't want to out myself argue as a about heart, heart fan. <laughs> on this show. Anyway, so yeah, that's Joey. It's it's the huge 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 hit for this band and on this album and now nobody remembers it or cares about it so a fun factoid for this album which is going to become more apparent as we talk about more of these songs uh the usual drummer for concrete blonde is not the drummer on this album it's paul thompson from roxy music yeah yeah and i'm like yeah you can fucking feel that it is because when it gets to i don't need a hero that like the percussion in that which is solid solid percussion very Roxy music. Uh, Joey as well. Very Roxy music. Which is weird because I like it. I mean, I mean, the percussion is. I'm not talking about. Like, oh, the, oh. The, he had a very. He has a very clear style, and he's an actual like. I don't know. It's it's hard to. <laughs> Roxy music used a lot of like jazz, drum, and he had to do that for a wild wide range of time signatures um and it was interesting hearing him tran- have, hear that same sound translate into what is sensibly a, a goth album and it's not that far of a leap but it was when you could when i could tell it was paul thompson i was like oh man i could just imagine brian ferry trying to sing this song right now and i enjoyed that and it makes me really happy <laughs> And you had you like a thing that has a Roxy Music person in it, so. Ah. <laughs> well, Brian Eno was in Roxy Music. He does he barely counts. Yeah, but I like a whole lot of Brian Eno. So, "The Sky Is a Poisonous Garden" is the fucking best song ever, basically. Oh best, yeah, best concrete blonde song easily. I, I I do like Bloodletting more, but "The Sky Is a Poisonous Garden" is like if you came to, if you if there was a, sh- a Spotify shuffle in the nineties. You listen to that Susie album and suddenly the sky is a poisonous garden starts pelling and you're like, what the fuck is this? this is amazing. And ah, so fucking good. So it's a, if you haven't heard it, A, stop, turn off this podcast and you'll listen to it. And B, um, it, I mean, it's just like a fucking, just uh, borderline metal mm-hmm. tempo. 
I mean, it's almost thrash metal, but nowhere near as precise and solo-y as thrash metal. But it's that kind of beat. Um, but, like, just the fucking, like, like, most mist-filled, mist-filled courtyard goth rock yes. on top of it. And just, ah, uh, and, and if, I mean, again, uh, I'm sure anyone listening to this has heard Concrete Blonde, but Jeanette Napolitano, their singer, is, has a real raspy, husky voice for a woman. Um, so, you know, put that on top of it, and it's just this crazy combination of elements that shouldn't work together. You know, she is, like, practically singing like Janis Joplin, and then the melody is, is goth rock, and then the tempo is... is more hard rock slash metal and it's just perfect yeah this is this is basically like i don't this is weird thing that just popped in my head it's like goth surrealist pillow like it it, (laughs) it, is and i really like surrealist pillow but this is oh more i listen to this album and every time I i hadn't listened to it in a long time all the way through and I, I was like, yeah, Bloodletting's real good. And my dad of that one, this guy's a poisonous garden. Fuck, yes. And then it just kept being great. And I don't dislike a single song on this album. Uh, I think there is one song I dislike. Sorry, let me get my notes back up. Um, days and Days. I, that, that's my, my note hmm. is Days and Days is bad. Uh, they, that's the only one on the album that, that I didn't. Oh, wait, no. I, Lullaby, Lullaby is also bad. It crosses the dangerous line between light college rock and adult contemporary. <laughs> I think they're fine. I don't know. I think that. I, think that... I, I don't like the good stuff on this album is so great that I can't hold those songs against it very much. Wait, Lullaby is the one that has like the sitar in it, right? Uh, you know, I. Cause that I that, 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 that struck point. me more as like <laughs> the mission than anything else. I oh wait, are you thinking of Darkening of the Light with the, no. with the mandolin? No. Okay. Darkening of the Light with Peter Buck playing mandolin a year before Losing My Religion. Oh, hell yeah. Not that he had never played mandolin on an R.E.M. album before Losing My Religion, but it was just crazy to hear that and then see that it was Peter Buck playing it and be like, wait, this was before Losing My Religion. Yeah, so they, the, the Concrete Blonde got their name because Michael Stipe was like, oh, but you call yourself Concrete Blonde because of your insightful lyrics and your, you know, your whole suit, your whole thing. <laughs> and like, okay, thanks, Michael Stipe. That's and they just maintained that relationship. Like, I was listening to their Associated Acts page. It was like, Sparks. It was like, I couldn't find any details about that, but that makes sense to me at some point, yes. They're very closely connected to Wall of Voodoo also. Yes. And we'll talk about Tomorrow Wendy later. Um, but also, um, the drummer from Wall of Voodoo eventually replaced their, their other drummer. Hmm. Or might have been, I don't remember now, he either was the drummer that wasn't playing on this album, or he came into the band after this album because the Roxy Music drummer couldn't get back into the country. Yeah. Uh, Checks so, out for, for a Roxy member of Roxy yeah. Music. So both of, our, both of our artists this week had problems with getting into the United States at some point. Um, the, I mean, Concrete Blonde is American, they're from Hollywood, but mm-hmm. but the... Which is why they would be associated with Sparks at all, because Sparks are also from Bell yeah. But it's Wall of Voodoo and R.E.M. seem to be, like, close connections, which is weird because they're not from Athens. And it seems like a lot of the bands that R.E.M. had that super close relationship early on were other bands they knew from from Georgia. 
Well, it was their label. Their label was relatively small, and they had started. They had started basically with the same label, and oh, it was Country Blonde IRS. Yes. Okay. So, like, they just knew each other because I think that label was just really close knit. Yeah, it was a small label. So, okay, that yeah, I mean, IRS was kind of an indie label. So, um, so yeah, other songs. Uh, Caroline is again. I thought it had kind of a, a heart feel to it, not, but also like real heavy on the pretenders with like the chorusy lead guitars i mean there's nothing wrong with repurposing heart okay i mean i fucking like the pretenders a lot so, yeah so like that's just... nothing wrong with either of those bands like and especially if you're a woman fronted rock band in i mean this was 90 this was 1990 but it was this is an 80s ass album oh for this sure sounds like the 80s and they formed in what 84 86 83 oh 83 yeah so um you know at that time like Heart and the Pretenders were kind of your big influences if you were a, a rock band fronted by a woman, you know, and Janis Joplin, obviously. Yeah, and we and we and we mentioned about like uh, Fergusol kind of holding down that that rock woman image, but the the Concrete Blonde was doing it too, but they just kind of got shifted into into the goth scene very quickly, and that they never really got that same comparison, but like. It kept the kept the truth alive on what r- women's rock sounded like. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's definitely you know seventies as fuck in a lot of ways, but then with that goth edge to it that that makes it its own thing. And as you can hear on Dark Night of the Light, which does sound like a mission song. To oh me. yes, it does. <laughs> with all that fucking mandolin, also some October Project in there. I uh, you know. It's this album is just nice. Yeah, it's nice for your ear holes. I mean, Darkening of the Light with Peter Buck playing is basically goth REM. It, it, yes, and you know what? It works. And it, it I, I I turned this album on on my nice new speakers before I came in here and like Darkening of the Light. I was like, I, wait a minute, I have to put this on the speakers. And I was like, yes. Uh, yeah, that's like my probably my second favorite song. I have to really be in the mood for bloodletting. Like I recognize how what a great song it is, but like it it only grabs me. If I'm like, I just have to be in a certain mood mm-hmm. for it to really hit. But like, Sky is a Poisonous Garden every time. I mean, that song just lays me the fuck out every time I hear it. And Darkening of the Light is like, that for me, that's a song that any time I hear that, it, it's it's great. I also still really love Tomorrow Windy. Uh, yeah, I so Tomorrow Windy was, was is really weird because it was written by Anthony Preboy from Wall of Voodoo for a solo album, but Concrete Blonde covered it before that album came out because they were friends with him and heard the song. And also Jeanette Napolitano sings the, the Anthony Preboy, or uh, sorry, Andy Preboy. Um, uh, his version is basically a duet with her. Like it starts off with him singing, and he kind of sounds a lot like Voltaire, actually, on, on that, which he, I mean, if you know Wall of Voodoo, it's probably from Mexican Radio, and he does not sound like Voltaire at all on that song. No. But when he's, like, serious singing, he, he sounds, I mean, at the time, he sounded like Peter Murphy, I guess. But Yeah. Like, it hit me that it sounded more like Voltaire than, than like, Peter Murphy. Yeah, and I love that she just did, she just did the duet with herself. Yeah, like, and- he doesn't sing on their version, but she sings on his version. Um, so he wrote it about a friend who died of AIDS and it's just like there's stuff in it that that I think people would kind of think was cringy now like the whole part about like God got his ass kicked and it's kind of like militant atheism 
that I think now because of like the poisoning of atheism by assholes like Sam Harris and Richard Dawkins, like everyone's like, oh, online atheist, yeah, fucking. But like at the time in 1990, having the song where someone sings "God got his ass kicked" the first time you came down, and you know, I wonder, we wondered what he wondered what he thought it would get us. I mean, I still love the song "Dear God," so yeah. Um, but like as an encapsulation of like boomer denialism of an epidemic wow that's not relevant now (laughs) because you know it starts off with like the imagery of jfk and smiling jackie driving by and Mm -hmm. and, but then it's you know it's a song about his friend dying of aids um so i think it's beautiful and still totally works oh yeah it's it's a little bit cringy but like that's fine because there's a lot of power and like intent behind it sometimes something can have really embarrassing lyrics or lyrics that don't age well but you still get the fucking power of it and you're like yeah no that works and her her doing the duet with herself is a honestly beautiful touch and i i listen i have listened to the other version yeah and i like this version better i like this version more also musically they're not all that different but she just brings so much depth to it yeah, she. I mean, she is. She has more feeling, like yeah. it, singing like Voltaire or Peter Murphy. It's like it's striking, but it's not necessarily deeply emotional. Like yeah. it's it's this kind of uh, artifice. I mean, it has this artifice to the emotions of it, whereas she just fucking hits you with it. Yeah, and I think that that's why it works better. And. I, I love voices like that. I love really strong voices that you can pick out because, like you, if you hear even a, a a bit of a concrete blonde song, that's not one that you know. You'd probably get a good idea for who it is based on the sound of her voice. Oh, and, and her voice is fucking unmistakable. Yeah, and like, and I love I love voices like that, and I will always kind of champion those of, of the bands we listen to because I just that makes it so much. Yeah, and I mean, you just don't hear voices like hers in pop music which i mean this isn't just i mean it's kind of a disservice to call this pop because it is more hard rock but it's it's radio rock you know it's it's pretty mainstream for something we're gonna cover on this show miley cyrus has a voice like this now yeah but i mean what i was gonna say is like you would hear voices like hers in gospel and in blues and i mean she's kind of a torch singer you just didn't hear it in i mean even heart was not that kind of no, they didn't have the same, like, you have to have a little bit of gravel to it to make it just, like, I mean, that's what, that's why Joan Jett was so great. It's like, her voice was, she didn't have, like, the most range, but just that oomph. Right. And here, this is very, a lot more Janice. And even Janice, like, she was very, very young, but had this voice that was a thousand years old. And you're like, yes. So. Later in life, I've, I've really come around on Janice Joplin. <laughs> <laughs> I still, I, I'm sorry, I it's another of my musical heresies is i can't stand James that's okay it's okay i mean i also i mean i started this by talking about it being goth jefferson airplane so uh, see i like jefferson airplane now because be, be, you can hear it now like there it's just gone <laughs> oh yeah no that's uh, that's obviously in there too which is good although i think that's a kind of music that shouldn't die forever but it's really hard to bring back and not make it sound like crusty dad's yeah, it's yeah. As as what happened with the early two thousands, R.I.P. Jet. 
uh, we don't get to talk about Jet. If we ever finish this podcast, we can do an episode of like what came after the nineties, <laughs> and then we can talk about Jet. But yeah, uh, overall, this is a a just solid album you should listen to. Uh, I mean, I think it's it's more than solid. I think this is excellent. It, yeah, yeah, it, it it is. I mean, if you only listen to one Concrete Blonde album. This should probably be it. Oh, yeah. Like, if, if the song God is a Bullet were on this album, you would not need another Concrete Blonde album. Because that's my other favorite Concrete Blonde song, and the only one of my favorite Concrete Blonde songs that isn't on this album. <laughs> I mean, I think their whole discography is pretty good. If you like, you know, proto-goth, and then w- watch a band slide into death rock really hard. I really wonder how much they knew about like was like I mean because goth music was kind of in the air to a certain extent in the eighties, but like it's it's kind of hard for me to imagine this band listening to Bauhaus and the Cure and Susie. Yeah, there's definite Susie here, but I it's but I think they all came from the same influences. I yeah, I mean Su- Susie was a rock band, a punk, a punk, and then a rock band, and then. Somewhere in the middle, they had those influences from, you know, actual rock bands. But, I don't know, I I think it just happens to these bands. I think it, I think you could have, none of these bands could have ever have, in, like, met or heard one another, and I think you still would have descended into goth. <laughs> yeah, just I just happens. wonder if this is kind of, uh, like, I mean, obviously Screamin' Jay Hawkins is pre-goth, but, like... I put a spell on you as absolutely proto goth. Oh sure. And and this almost feels like that same kind of like there wasn't a, maybe maybe they weren't really aware of goth music, but kind of figured it out for themselves in the same <laughs> way that that you could say Screamin' Jay Hawkins did, even though it, goth music didn't exist yet. You know, just you just gotta fill yourself and fill your music. That's really the only way. If you're gonna turn into a goth, it's gonna happen naturally. You don't. Because there's there's a real difference between doing goth intentionally and then doing goth because you have z- no other choice. Right. And, because you just have to let the darkness out. Yeah, and that's that's what happens to bands that just, oh, I woke up today covered in bats. I'm a goth band now. <laughs> Whoops. But the ones that are intentionally goth, the only one, I, those are the ones I have the harder time listening to. Yeah. And yeah. it's like I think the Crook Shadows are like one of the few bands that transcend that some. Some. I mean, they're still. I mean, talk about cringy. Even though I like them. A, a oh, I bit. am Winterborn. Like, just. just I mean, turn that's it on. the best song ever, but also the cringiest. Yeah, song just turn ever. it on. Don't listen to the lyrics, but feel that you're Winterborn. No, do and... listen to the lyrics. <laughs> like, it, it bathe in the cringe. Like, it's a good song. Wear your mall goth like a pair of black and white stripy arm socks. It's. Uh, it's we get to do crew shadows on the show. Oh man. Not that album, I don't think. But. Yeah, it's like before they got listenable. Ah, <laughs> oh, their early stuff's fine, but but they're not Concrete Blonde. We're here to talk about Concrete Blonde. Yeah, well, let's rank Concrete Blonde. And okay, get out so of here. I think this is a solid ass three. That high? I was not expecting it to go that high. Um, I think this is a solid ass ten. <laughs> uh, I think it's. I would give you a you know six. Uh, I I can't put this above Lush. I don't think. But listen to think about this guy. I, I mean, I wouldn't garden. put it above Slanted and Enchanted either. 
because it's as good as it is, it didn't influence anything. <laughs> no, but it is it is an amazing album that everyone should listen to. And... Uh, yeah, I, I think it's a good number 10. I think it... I think you're wrong. Do you think it's better than Operation Doomsday? I, a little bit, yeah. Um, yeah either, either way, Separations is out of this out of this game yeah so. i'm not i'm not worried about that because i i mean i think the argument that this is better than separations is real strong i just don't think it's i don't think it's better than anything above separations it's i mean I, i'd put it above superstition but i think mm -hmm. superstition's too high yeah but that's why i said put it it's, but slanted and enchanted is the big the big sticking point for me it, it, like to put like as much as I like this album to put it above something that influential is real hard for me. All right, we can put it at ten. All right, I think that's the best the best place for it. I was like, oh, Hadrian's gonna be happy because I'm gonna agree that this goes in the top ten, <laughs> and then you hit me with three. <laughs> I can't believe you think this is better than Liberation. I I I do a little bit. I, I, yeah, I definitely don't. I I, I think it's. But I, I also so. have a deep emotional attachment to Liberation, and I was trying to rip that bandaid off. Yeah, well, I I love Liberation though, so that's, I'm not gonna let you. <laughs> not with this album, anyway. <laughs> well, when uh, we did the next Divine Comedy album, we'll just. Yeah, well, the next Divine Comedy album we're gonna do is probably the one I think is better than Liberation, so that'll that'll be fine. We have so many Divine Comedy albums to do in the '90s. Yeah, I might not do Liberation. I mean, uh. Fucking what is it? Promenade. Yes, promenade next. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's uh, so set this in stone. Uh, bloodletting going at number ten, which puts it between Operation Doomsday and Separations, and knocks Pulp out of the top ten for now. But like, who are we fucking kidding? Pulp is going to be back oh, in the top ten, they're, they're like, and least... probably not leave with at least one of their albums. So. We're gonna fight over which one of those, which album that is, but one of them will win. <laughs> yes. All right. So two changes to the top ten this week. I'm gonna read the top ten out now, because that's a thing that we do on this show. At uh, number ten now, Bloodletting by Concrete Blonde. At number nine, Operation Doomsday by MF Doom. Number eight, Slanted and Enchanted by Pavement. Uh, number seven, Superstition by Susie and the Banshees. Number six, Spooky by Lush. Number five, Vary by the Pet Shop Boys. Number four, The Philosophy of Momus by Momus. Number three, Liberation by the Divine Comedy. Number two, Get Lost by the Magnetic Fields. And number one is Nonsuch by RSTC. All right. If you want to see our complete rankings, all 72 albums we have ranked at this point, you can go to bit.ly slash nr1990s. That's bit.ly slash nr1990s. And if you want to listen to every episode of the podcast and every album we have ever ranked, you can go on Spotify and search for In Our 1990s. Uh, are we making that new playlist? Yeah, so... I noticed uh, you added these two to the old playlist. I've removed them since. Oh, okay. uh, let me let me say what I'm going to say. Now the po the podcast playlist is going to be In Our 1990s 2020 and In Our 1990s 2021. So I'll start from here on out until the album the playlist gets unruly. I will uh, move them into their, the next year. but I don't think we're going to get a whole year in one playlist since we have only been doing this show for like six months. <laughs> <laughs> Has it been longer than six months? Has it? Yeah. Not much. Like April of last I, I year. Oh, okay. I thought we started in May. 
one of those times. But yeah, uh, if it gets unruly, I'll make a, you know, part two and change it to part one, part two. Yeah. But I think we'll be fine. All right. Well, so we are going to add two more albums to that new playlist. Uh, what are you bringing next week? Uh, I am bringing a thing I have to look up the artist's name because I can always remember it. <laughs> oh, uh, I remember now what you told me you were doing. Yes, I'm doing International Pop Overthrow by uh, Material, Material Issue. Issue. Yeah, I, I almost did that album way early on in the show, but we had just done something similar enough to it that I didn't want to do it. I was trying not to do a goth, another goth album this week, so... It's not... Yeah, that's definitely not a goth. No, album. I said I was trying not right, to. Right, uh, right. Yes, I thought you were going to say I was trying not to, and then I did anyway. No, no, I like I, I my last two have been industrial and goth, so. <laughs> yeah, well, I am going back to my quest for the bottom of the list next <laughs> week. <laughs> Shit, <laughs> that's not true. This this al- the album I'm doing next week is not going that low, but it's not doing high either. Um, it's Pablo Honey by Radiohead, their first album. I I'm I'm a Radiohead fan, but not of that album. <laughs> Good, I have something to look forward to because I've never actually listened to that album all the way through. Uh, I don't know if "look forward to it" is how I would put it, but I I was being sarcastic. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, and the album I brought is just uh, I was I let the playlist overrun when I was listening to the albums for this week, and Valerie loves me was the first one that played and i was like what the fuck is this <laughs> and then that's how we got material issue next week yeah i remember i i don't uh, i'll remember when i listen to it I, I remember them being a band that had a hit song in 1990 mm-hmm. i don't remember and they really want to be a pop band them. like there's a lot of like we're just like you know early rock pop and then there's too much morrissey in it to be pop and i don't think i, I think they knew that this album but we'll talk more about that next week. But it's it's amusing. Yeah, I remember when I when I was gonna do it for the show. I remember listening to it and being like, "Oh, this isn't very good. I don't really want to talk about this." Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, outside of whatever the the hit song was, I I'm sure that one holds up all right. But but yeah, um, but we can talk about Radiohead's hit song and whether it holds up or not next week. I've been listening to a lot of Radiohead this week. I, and I've noticed. I just, yeah. So sometimes uh, I turn on the Spotify and it shows me what you're listening to. Yeah, and you saw that I listened to the song The Bins like five times in a row yesterday because I loved that song so much. Yep, sure did. <laughs> I was just driving and just kept, just pl- I, this is real good, let's play it again. I'm just doing a Quincy. Man, that song is great. Let's listen to it again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that sets me when the, the song The Driver comes out, the, the, the Duran Duran comedy, uh, uh, Duran Duran song. The driver comes on, and I'm like, oh, chauffeur. I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, fucking. We're going to restart this. Uh, and then I did this one day with someone in the car with me. And they're like, how many times are we going to listen to that Duran Duran song? It's like, enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's how I've been with the bins. And then I listened to it twice on the way home today. <laughs> Good job. Man, I wish we were talking about the bins, but but we've got to do Pablo Honey to get to the bins. Yep. You can't appreciate how great the Benz is unless you listen to Pablo Honey first. All right. Uh, well, that's that's this week. Yep. Yep. All right. Let's get out of here. It's 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 my bedtime almost. Cyberpunk time.